Welcome to the Access Church Podcast. Grab out your note sheet and let's jump right into today's sermon. Hey, uh, before uh, we get going here, we got a lot that we want to accomplish. Uh, we're going to be in uh, Acts chapter 20. We're wrapping up about four or five months of being in that book. Be transitioning the book of Luke and looking at the, the life of Jesus. So that's going to be a cool few months for us. Um, but I want to uh, reintroduce and welcome back. It's been a while. I, I believe it's been a few years, right, when the pandemic uh, first kind of happened. And th- but Anna over here, everybody say hi to Anna. She's back. She's back. We miss you. So always great. If you've never met Anna, she will brighten up your day with her smile. So definitely say hi to her. But it's great to have you back. So I know you've been watching online, but it's better to be in person. A few things we got going on. Mexico trip is a, a few weeks away. We got a group of us heading down. It's going to be exciting. Yep. Tijuana Christian Mission. And we're going to have the young kids and the teens all together. We're going to be doing Easter egg hunts, just playing games with them, having a good time. And so uh, if you have not signed up for that, it's free. Just make sure you have a passport or you will not, you'll get in, but you will not come back. So if you plan on living there, don't bring your passport. But otherwise, bring, get, make sure that's good to go. That's going to be a great time together. We already got a good group, and so we can add a few more. And so uh, go ahead and go online on our website or through our app. We also have an app you can check out. And you can sign up through that. Also, if you're a golfer uh, or you're not, but you enjoy just swinging and being mad uh, as a ball sits still and you're having a hard time hitting it, but you want to hang out and it's part of a fundraiser, Young Life, uh, we're a big supporter of that ministry. And so they are a high school, junior high, on-campus ministry outreach. And so we have a few of the leaders that come to church here. And so we want to support them. Golf tournament, check it out online. And, uh, and if there's anything with the cost, or you're kind of like, I'd love to be there, but I can't really support them financially, the church is thrown in. We can get a few spots for you because we are a sponsor, I think, of one of the holes or something like that. So just sign up. Let me know. But if you can contribute, it's great. It goes towards a great cause there. Uh, also, I know taxes are coming up. Some of you are going to be losing money. Some of you have been gaining money. So I'm not sure your situation. So for some, it's a celebration. For others, it's a time of depression. But, hey, we all can trust in God. But with that, if you're receiving money back, Put some aside because we have um, uh, summer camps going on. And so uh, a lot of times the leaders, uh, they're going to need to raise money uh, in order just to volunteer for one month, two months, three months. Uh, Grace, I know you're going to be gone for how many months? Three. And then Bethany, how long are you gone for? Three. How dare you leave our church for three months? So, um, and so our goal always is to fully fund them. I don't want them worrying about money. We want to fully fund them. So... Um, so just a heads up, that's where we're going to be giving to them and making sure they're good to go. And I know a few others. Aiden, you're gone for about a month, right? One month you're gone for? Yeah, all right. You're pumped up, ready to go. So, all right. Let's talk to Jesus and get going. Jesus, um, thank you for today. Thank you for um, just the vitality, the joy in this room, Lord. Um, we all come with um, certain joys and certain heartaches today, but we're unified by one who gives us hope. And Jesus, you give us hope not just for eternity, you give us hope for today. That whatever we're going through, we don't have to go through it alone. We can choose to, and it's tough, but life will crush us without a God who created us. And so God, I pray for a purpose for us all today, a hope, a strength that doesn't come from ourselves willing it, but just comes from knowing that you created us, you want to walk with us, and that you love us. And so no matter what people say about us, 
matter what we think other people think of us, we can know today that the God who created us absolutely loves us, forgives us, and wants us to succeed. And I pray that we can embrace that. In your name, Jesus, amen. All right, so, hey, we're about, um, man, about 30 years into this book called Acts. So the last four months, we've covered 30 years. Just so you know, when you read the book of Acts, it's about 28 chapters. It's not about, it's 28 chapters. If yours is more or less, then you got the wrong Bible. So it's 28 chapters. <laughs> I don't know what you're reading, but. <laughs> um, and so uh, 30 years, 30, 30, 40 years, somewhere in there. Uh, covers all these chapters. So just so you know, there's a lot that happens that God doesn't explain to us. He just kind of gives us the highlights. The Bible gives us the things we need to know, right? Sometimes we're always searching for, you know, what's the Bible not saying? God's like, don't worry about what I don't say. Focus on what I do say. And we're coming to a, a point now where Paul, the last eight chapters, you can read it on your own, but he kind of has this, he's been doing this missionary work and now God sent him um, as far as uh, on this path uh, where he's no longer going to be a missionary traveling around. He's going to be imprisoned, but he's still going to be a missionary even from prison. But he's kind of getting towards the end of his life in, in that sense. Things are wrapping down. That the, the, um, you know, the things of uh, where he was as a leader, uh, he's not going to be. He's at a new stage of life. And so he's kind of reflecting, but he also wants to share with these new young leaders. These guys are going to be taking it now, what he did, and taking it to the next generation. And this is his wisdom, this is his perspective, because Paul, uh, by all means, was, was one of the most successful Christians in history. Uh, and so we want to look at, as far as, towards the end of his life, and if you want to get some wisdom, um, you know, hopefully you can talk to someone that they, they, they've lived it, and then give perspective. One of the things we're talking about in our connection groups is that's why um, it's nice we don't segment groups, you know, young people. If you're over 25, don't hang out with someone 23. If you're over 35, don't hang, you know, we're kind of like just join a group and all these multi, you know, generational interactions give us a lot of wisdom. Um, and so Paul's giving this wisdom to these young leaders in the church. And I just want to go over what he says and kind of break, break it down for us um, as far as learning from someone who's been successful when it comes to specifically being a Christian and allowing God to work through them for a long period of time. And I'd say that's what success is, by the way, right? There's a difference between one-hit wonders and rock bands that play for like 30, 40 years, right? Right? Like Millie Vanilli is not playing in Vegas right now. If you don't know who Millie Vanilli is, uh, look, look him up. It's an interesting story. Uh, I think they had one hit, maybe, maybe two. Um, but you can think of other bands or other things. The one-hit wonders were like, oh, remember that song? But, you know, it's funny about the one-hit wonders. You remember the song, but a lot of times you don't even remember the band. You're like, who was that, right? But those bands have been going for 30, 40 years, and they're not, they don't always have the number one hits, but they just keep going. They keep going, and success is over the long haul. And a lot of times in our Christian faith, we get down on ourselves within the last one week or the last three months, and God's like, hey, I'm working for 30 to 40 years here. Successes sometimes just keep going. So we're going to learn this from Paul, who's been doing it a long time, not a one-hit wonder. And this is what Paul says. We're going to look at verse 22, and we're just going to go down uh, to verse 24. He says, and now I'm compelled by the Spirit. I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen there. This encapsulates the book of Acts, just so you know. Over and over, what we talked about is Acts is not the acts of people 
forming the church. It's the acts of the Holy Spirit working with God's people. The book of Acts is the actions of the Holy Spirit. And what does that look like in our life? When we look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's the acts of Jesus, right? We get to see the biography of the Son of God. But the reason we have the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, is each of them is equal, and they are three in one, but they have different roles, right? And so the Son came to seek and to save and to pay the cost for our sins, that there's a cosmic justice and here's the thing, we love justice when it's with someone else, not when it's with ourselves, right? We want an extreme amount of grace. When we break the law, it's like, please don't give me the ticket. But when we see someone cut in front of us in speed, we're like, oh, I hope they get a ticket, right? Which shows our own sin. And God's like, no, 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 I judge everybody the same. And here's the thing, it's not how good you are because none of us are good. He goes, how I judge is, are you saved by grace or are you trying to live by your own righteousness? And if you do, you're guilty. If you receive the forgiveness of Jesus, boom, no ticket. You're off the hook. Not only no ticket, now I'm going to transform your life. And not just give you a good eternal life, I'm going to give you a good life here. Okay? So we see that he is compelled by the Spirit, and it's the Spirit, a good, solid, healthy church. is not one with good programming. It's one that listens to the Spirit and follows the Spirit. That's a good church. Okay? That's what we've been studying. So Paul's just living this out. We've studied it. Paul's living it out. Hey, I, I've been doing this. Now the Spirit's compelling me to do this. The Spirit might compel you some kind of ministry or some kind of connection for a six months or a year, but the Spirit might move you to something else. Don't resist the Spirit. The Spirit's compelling you. And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit does warn me that, hey, you're going to have, uh, you're going to be in prison and hardships are facing you. I always like when people think about like when God speaks to them, it always needs to be like happy, happy, joy, joy. And I want you to know this, that there is a lot of joy in Christ, but God would rather be honest with you than flatter you. Sometimes he's going to speak to you saying things are going to get tough. And that's when you get to know Jesus really well. When you really get to know Jesus well is when things are tough. Now, I know all of us are like, but I don't want things to be tough. They won't always be tough. But sometimes the Spirit may say, it's going to get rough here. Stay faithful. Because that's success. Don't just be on, you know, uh, successful with God and faithful to God when things are good. Do the good and do the bad. So he's like, the Spirit says, hey, I'm going to warn you because I love you and I want to be honest with you. Part of being loving to someone is being honest with them. So, so he told him. He said this, though. Despite this, however... I consider my life worth nothing to me. Now, circle or underline that. that. The actual Greek phrase is not nothing as far as like, my life is, it's just garbage. It's not necessarily that. That worth nothing means of no great honor or value. So sometimes the English translation, when we go from a, another language, Greek, sometimes any of you that do multiple languages, like, you know, Spanish to English, sometimes it's hard to like, well, it's kind of like that, but it's like this. The Greek phrase is actually that he's like, I don't consider my life of great honor or value, which isn't that the opposite of the world? What do we tell people? Trying to find value, right? Be all you can be. You can do anything you want. As a kid, you believe it until you get older. You're like, no, I can't. That's not true at all. If I can't jump, I will not be playing basketball, right? There's a reality there, right? 
If I look like this, I will not be a male model, right? That's just a reality. Are we looking for bald, overweight people with a big nose to model? No, right? You can't be anything you want to be. I tried. It didn't work. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I prayed about it. I didn't do it. I didn't follow through. Um, right? We're looking for value. People are constantly looking for value, affirmation. That's why social media is constantly, look at me. Look at this outfit. I, I, it blows me away as I get older. I think it's always interesting where it's one of those things of like, oh, teenagers are on social media, teenagers are on. And I'm like, it, it's understandable for a teenager to take a photo and be like, please like me. I actually understand that. But when people from my generation are in their 50s and 60s and like these women are like, look at me in my 50s, like, I don't want to, right? Just clothe yourself. At some point, days are over, peace out, right? And they're just, you see these 50-year-old women, they're just desperate. And these are Hollywood stars. They have everything. They have money, they have fame, and they're still doing what 16-year-old girls do. An act of desperate saying, I need value. And what I want to tell you is, listen, you are of no great honor or value. Without God creating you, the chemicals in your body are worth less than Gatorade. Do you understand that? Like just the physicality. If there is no solar God, like when people are like, well, we need to love each other and love even though there's no God. No, we don't. It's animalistic. No holds bar. Because your values truly, your dollar worth is less than a bottle of Gatorade. There's, there's better, more valuable chemistry in Gatorade than you. Isn't that crazy? But what gives us value? You're created in the image of of God. And so what he's saying is, listen, I don't have great value. God has great value. So I'm not here to tell you, listen, you're worth it. And you can be all you can be. Uh-uh. God is worth it. God is all you can be. And without him, you're absolutely nothing. And that's why we're saved by grace. And my joy comes not out of finding value out of myself, but out of value of the one who created me. Being like, there we go. And so Paul understood this. This is part of his success. I'm going to be Explaining this more, that's part of his success. I consider my life worth nothing helps me to be successful as a Christian. But then he goes on to say, he goes, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. Two things there. His only aim is to finish. He's looking towards the finish line. His only goal is heaven, not earth. One of the reasons we lack success as Christians is because we're constantly obsessed with this world, not of the world to come. The great Christians I've seen, and most of them are outside of the United States, just, you know. That's why I love missions, if I'm honest. There's great Christians here, but you meet phenomenal people. Like, like to us, a tough week of persecution is just like, you know, nobody liked this, my Bible verse of the day, you know, or, you know, I, I, this is, and you meet, and they're going through persecution, and yet they worship with tears. Their, their services are full of joy. I remember I went to um, uh, one church. This was in uh, Africa. I think it was Ethiopia. I'm get, I might be confused, but um, we went to this church, and the worship was vibrant. And their prayers, I know if I pray longer than 30 seconds, you guys are like, all right, wrap it up, right? These guys pray for minutes and minutes, and they're thanking God for every single thing. There's just joy there. And I find out a week before, someone threw a bomb at that church. They weren't like, oh, what was us? No, they were just like, praise God, we're alive. You know, they're just like, church is still going strong. You meet phenomenal people. Why? Because their aim wasn't a good life here. Their aim was the good life that is to come. What made Paul successful when the Holy Spirit says, you're going to be in prison a lot and you're going to get beat up a lot? Like most would be like, mm, I don't want that assignment. <laughs> Sign me up for something else, right? Why would Paul be like, oh, that's a great life. Let's do it. 
because he was constantly looking to the finish line, not to what's happening during the race. And many times we get caught up in the pain of the race of life, not realizing at the finish line there's a cool celebration. So Paul's life was worth nothing. His aim was to finish the race and to complete the task the Lord Jesus has given. What's that word after given? Me. One of the things that helped Paul to succeed, and you'll see this in anything in life, is the ability to accomplish tasks that are given. To not shirk responsibility, to not blame someone else for why you can't get something done, whether that's physical fitness, whether that's health, whether that's your job. We live in a culture that looks to, if I don't succeed, I'm gonna blame someone else. And that might work in the world, but it doesn't work in Christianity. If Jesus gives you an assignment, he expects it to be completed, and he says, I will give you the, the will, the desire, the strength, and actually the equipment to complete it if you trust him. But many times we see Christianity is, well, it's all about community. Christianity is about that God saves me and that he loves me, and now I just kind of cruise till I get to heaven. And his goal is to work in you so that he can work through you. He works in you so he can work through you. One of the ways we stay successful as Christians is when we constantly think, God, what are the tasks that you have for me? What are the tasks that you have for me? And I'm going to be, again, explaining that. He says, so my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that Jesus has given me. The task, and this was his, testifying the good news of God's grace. And so to kind of encapsulate today what today is about, um, and if you want to put the, the quote up here, Success in God's eyes is not the one on fire for him, but the one who is faithful through the fires. That's what success is. And we're all looking to be on fire for God where everything is. It's like, no. Success is just 30 to 40 years of being faithful, accomplishing the tasks. How do I do that? Stay focused on heaven, not on earth. Now, I'm not saying that you don't participate on earth, that you're just praying and thinking about heaven. You don't. No, you accomplish the task, but heaven is the motivator for living on earth. And we're going to begin to be explaining that, but this is, this, this is what today's about. And as we end the book of Acts, this is why the early church succeeded, you guys. They succeeded and the world could not stop them because they saw their life was of no great value. God's life is of great value. And a life given to him is of great value. Heaven compelled them more than earth. And they got assignments from God and they wanted to accomplish and achieve those assignments. So I just want to break this down, these three things, kind of in, in, in language for today um, as we wrap up this book. So the first thing that we see here is that we have to have kind of proper humility when it comes to success. And, and these three points can go to your, your job, relationships you have, or spiritually. We're going to focus on the spiritual, but you can apply this to anything in life. And, and for some of us, we're going to see this like, oh, that's so true. It's so true, right? Proper humility. It's important to understand that in order to succeed, I always have to fight about being arrogant or prideful, making life about me. Have any of you worked somewhere and someone it was all about them, their success, they didn't want to be a team player, 
And what's interesting is because of their talent, they might rise for a while, but after a while, nobody wants to work with them. In fact, someone who doesn't do as good of a job, if they're humble, over the long term, not one year, two years, but over 10 years, they're going to probably move up to a higher position than someone that's just like, they're difficult, right? You see this in sports. Like when they trade big stars, you're like, wow, how could that happen? They do so much. But I wonder after a while, they're like, they're just not worth it. They're so arrogant. Proper humility. Now, what I mean by proper humility is there's a difference between saying, I am of no great value, and that's a difference between I'm a piece of crud, right? Beating yourself up. That's not proper humility. That's an attack from Satan. Because if God does love you and his spirit is in you, you do have value. It's just proper value. Don't, it wasn't that Satan's greatest issue. He, he valued himself in the wrong valuation. He was a powerful angel. Okay, enjoy that. But he went like, no, nah, I'm going to equate myself with the same value as God. And that's where he went wrong. Some of us go the other way. And we're like, God could never love me. God could never use me. I have no skill. That's not humility right? That's not proper humility. And so that's what Paul had. Paul understood his value, but in perspective, it was of no great honor or value compared to God. Humility would equal this, or equate to this. Nothing I have or am is better than what I have or am in Christ. That's the difference. Humility says, nothing I have or that I am is better than what I have or am in Christ. So humility really is a sense of understanding our dependence on Jesus. And you don't even have to be a Christian. You might come here today, I'm not a follower of Jesus. And what we tend to think is God's not really for me until I turn my life over to him. And that's not true. Even your success, if you're disconnected from Jesus, if he created and loved you, you just haven't come to an awareness yet that he's your savior. But to think that it's by my wit, it's by my strength, it's by, I always find that interesting where someone's like, well, it's by, by me that I did that. Oh, that's interesting. Did you, did you do something to get your natural IQ if you're super smart? No. Well, I studied. Yeah, but you're already pretty smart. Like those kids that are at the Ivy League, it's not like they're idiots all the way through and all of a sudden they're like, I just worked. So-. No. 99% of those kids, probably by the time they're five, are smarter than me at 48. You know what I mean? Well, who did that? God. Even if you don't follow Jesus, oh, I did this and that. Yeah, but look at the family he gave you. Look at the friends he brought in. Well, no, I pursued those friends. Really? When you stop stepping back, you realize that there's a humility of, wait a second, God's generated more success in my life than I have. I'm just along for the ride. Matthew 10, 38 through 39, Jesus even says this, like, listen, This is proper humility. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. What he's saying is that real life, real value comes from actually dying to yourself in what you think is right, what you think is the way to go, what you think the future is, what you think all that, dying to that in receiving all that God has for you in life. And that takes a lot of humility because some of it's like, if we're honest, I'm just saying if we're honest, and we don't have to be honest today, maybe just honest in our own head, we won't say it out loud. But if we're honest, we're like, I want God to save me, but I don't think he can help me live this life. 
And so you want to do things your way. So when he says to be honest, you start telling lies. When he says be sexually pure, you're like, it's not going to work. We've got to live together. It doesn't make financial sense. So we have to sleep together. We have to be, we, right? There's all these compromises. And God says, hey, if I give you something, be generous with it. Uh, but I might not have enough for tomorrow. And he's like, really? You don't trust me? So we want God to save us. We just don't want him to lead us. And that's arrogance. We want God, please save me. But just don't lead me. That's why James 4.10 says, listen, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. And I want to encourage you with this. God will lift you up higher than you can lift yourself. He's got plans and tasks and things for you to experience that you cannot imagine. And it's better than whatever you have planned. Now, if you're arrogant, God will be like, go for it, Rambo. Do your thing. And you'll get some success, but it'll never be the kind of success that God wants to give you. I just want you to understand that. Whether it's success in your marriage or being single, whether it's success with your kids, whether it's success in ministry, humble yourself, let the Spirit lead, get rid of your own desires and goals and things like, and, and get rid of what you think other people think of you, because that drives a lot of us. Humble yourself. Don't act like you have it all together. Be honest with people. God will lift you up. That's what helped Paul. That's what helped the early church. So proper humility is really important when it comes to success. The second thing is personal responsibility is really important. Personal responsibility. This is a phrase that does not exist in our vocabulary today in this world. Personal responsibility. Personal responsibility is what Paul said when he said that the task that was given to me, I want to complete the task. Let me ask you this. What task have you completed in the last month that God has assigned to you? And there's three responses. Some of us are like, well, God laid this on my heart and I followed through. Some of us are like, oh, God gave me an assignment. I was like, uh-uh, ain't gonna do it. And here's, but here's the worst one. That it's not the worst one. The worst one is this. I have no tasks or assignments from God. That's who I feel bad for. I don't feel bad for the person who's like, I don't wanna do that. So I'm like, at least you're being honest. <laughs> And maybe God will give you the strength or the people around you to help you accomplish those tasks. I feel bad for the person like, I have none. So I'm like, really? God saved you? And then he's like, I don't want to use you. Just sit on the sideline. Do we have a Bible verse for that? That God came to save and use some people and have others just sit and wait for heaven? Is there a Bible verse that's in anybody? Maybe it's in Acts 29 that you wrote that in, right? Not, yeah. But some of us live that way, you guys. Well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a professional Christian. Yeah, you are. The only difference is I get paid now and hopefully I get paid in heaven. That would stink, get a little bit of a raise there. But, but here's the thing, all of us get paid in heaven. God says, I want to reward you. What you got to understand in heaven is this, you guys, is that heaven, we're all going to be saved. No more sin, no more tears. But we will all have different levels of reward and responsibility forever. And that will never change. And that's not to make you feel bad, like, you know, step it up. It's to get you excited about God wants to continue to be generous to you for eternity. And he's already told you, he's not hiding anything. How you live here and accomplishing the task on your heart is how I'm going to reward you. I'm not hiding. I'm not trying to trick you, being like, ha ha, I cut your pay. When you get to heaven, you're like, no, you know, he's not going to do that. He's like, I want to be generous, but I'm generous to those who are humble and take personal responsibility saying, if you tell me to do that, I'm going to do that. 
I go reach that person, I'm going to reach them. You're laying a ministry on my heart, I'm going to start it. You give me kids, I'm going to raise them up in the Lord. I'm not going to blame the church. I'm not going to blame society. I'm not going to blame. You give me kids, I raise them my way. You give me a wife, I'm going to give her back to you better than how I found her. Well, she's not this and she's not that and we grew up here. Forget it. Personal responsibility is I'm going to do it. And the Lord will provide a way. What we got to be careful is the world loves excuses and it can leak into the church. We don't want that. Now, I'm not saying that you can't say, hey, it's rough. These kids, whoo, dear God, you know? I'm not saying it's not rough. I'm not saying it's not hard. What I'm saying is the Lord says, I've tasked you with that. That means I've given you the desire, the strength, and the equipment you need to raise them. Now use it. Personal responsibility. That's how you get stuff done. We all know that. We work with people. Don't you love working with someone that says, if I'm going to do it, and they go and do it? But we all have those people at work. It's like, oh, I'll do it. I'll volunteer for that. Or, yeah, I'll do it. And then they don't. Or they shirk responsibility. Or they blame, well, the reason he didn't do it is because this person. Doesn't that just drive you nuts? Right? And yet we do that with God. And he's like, that's what God does. He goes to yoga, right? No, he doesn't. But There's two types of assignments. Just so you know, there's common and there's unique. Common assignments are for everyone and they're always ongoing. Common assignments are this. Go reach people disconnected from Jesus. It's ongoing. The rest of your life. It's just who, where God's directing you. Sometimes it'll be on the mission field. Sometimes it'll be your next door neighbor. Honestly, if you have little kids, your main mission field is, just so you know, your kids aren't born saved. I hope you know that. They're not born saved. They come to faith by your leadership and by your example. So your main mission field, if you have small kids, is make sure they know Jesus. More than a 4.0, more than getting that scholarship to college for whatever that is, make sure they know Jesus, right? That's your mission. So we all have these common, ongoing, but unique ones are just for you, and sometimes they're one-time. God has these one-time assignments. Just go and do that one time. It's not going to be ongoing, and then move on to something else. But it's unique to you, not to anyone else. And that's where when God gives you an assignment, it doesn't mean that you should tell others that that's their assignment the job of the Holy Spirit, not of you. So you have a common and unique ones. The common ones, just you know, are found in the scripture. The unique ones are usually given by the Holy Spirit when you pray, when you read the word of God, and you ask God, what do you want of me today? What do you want of me this week? Text this person. Okay. Don't shirk responsibility like someone else text them. You text them. Sign up for this thing. Go do that. It's a unique thing personally for you. Psalm 32, 8 says this. This is God speaking to us. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should what? Go. Not just in how you should feel or what you should think. You realize that God wants to tell you the way you should go this week, this year, and for the rest of your life. He'd love just to walk with you. Look at he's calling right now. <laughs> right? Laura Lee, this is what you need to do. I will teach you. The world won't. Your parents won't. So when you grow up, listen to them, but they're not your main instruction anymore. Not necessarily your spouse. Definitely not your kids, even though some of you treat them like a god. They don't direct the way you should go, what your schedule should be. 
I, God, will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with what? My loving eye on you. You have a loving God who wants to direct you. If someone loves you and wants to direct you, usually that's a really good thing. Philippians 2.13, this is where Paul, who's experienced this, says this, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God who's working in you, giving you desires. John 15.5, Jesus says this, listen, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And again, some of us don't have assignments because we're apart from Jesus. We're not getting into his word and allowing the word to give us assignments. We're not slowing down, whether first thing in the morning or maybe at lunch or maybe later in the evening and just saying, hey, God, what do you want of me tomorrow? What did I miss today? We're so busy and we go on social media and then we watch a movie and then we do this and we're exhausted and we got soccer practice, we got this or that. And we think that's the way it has to be. I'll talk to God once my kids are grown up and I have time. And God's like, I actually want to speak to you right now. What does that do for you, knowing that the most powerful, wonderful, loving, sacrificial being in the world wants to direct you and your schedule this week? That's phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. But he says, listen, apart from me, you can do nothing. So for some of us, we evaluate today, if we are accomplishing nothing, it's not because God's not for us, it's because we're probably not connected to him. We're a branch without a vine, which means we get no nutrients to bear great fruit. So we have proper humility, take personal responsibility for assignments that are given. The last one that we see from Paul is to understand that we have a powerful eternity. We have a powerful eternity. And that's what, this is what I mean by this, that our greatest days are still to come. The worst day in heaven will be better than the best day here on earth. I think we struggle with that, though, because some of us are like, we want to live forever here and not go to heaven, right? Let me just eat more blueberries, stay in shape, a little more plastic surgery, right? We're doing everything we can to stay on earth, and God's like, but the worst day in heaven is going to be better than the best day on earth, and we're doing everything we can to stay here. What really helped Paul is to understand that his greatest days were still to come. So put him in prison and beat him up. All you're doing is rewarding me. God says every time you're persecuted, I'm going to reward you forever. The reality of heaven for Paul was more real than the reality of this life here on earth. And I want you to know that that's what helps us to stay successful and not give up in the assignments that God has for us. And it helps us to stay humble and whatever God takes us through. Philippians 3, 20 through 21, Paul says this. Listen, how do I keep this mindset? Our citizenship is what? In where? Heaven. You're just visiting here. When you're just visiting, you don't set up home. You don't start putting up family pictures. You have a suitcase. And you say, I'm here for a little while, but I don't want to get too what? Comfortable. Because I'm moving on. And for some of us, this life, you're not carrying a suitcase. You're setting up shop and putting up pictures and thinking this is it. 
And when life gets tough, if this is all there is, that's why we give up on our faith. Better days are to come. I did a, a, a Spartan race years ago. I think it was like eight or 10 miles, I forget. But a Spartan race just, you know, is, and now that I say this, I don't know why I did it, but you, you run in hills and in mud, and then you do all these obstacles, these weird obstacles. You got to carry heavy things and all that kind of stuff. And I know it sounds dumb. I don't know what I was thinking. But anyway, so I did a Spartan race. And what's interesting is we did really well. Like we finished pretty high up, my, my friend and I, and we wanted to run it together. We, we did better than we thought. And what's interesting about it is, first of all, we had a proper fear and respect for it. We were pretty humble. Years ago, not anymore, but years ago, I was in pretty good shape, running, doing all kinds of different things. And there can be a cockiness within that that I don't need to prepare a lot because I'm, I'm in pretty good. But we really were like scared of this event. And what's interesting is being fearful helped us to be very detailed <laughs> and humble and making sure we're prepared. And by the way, this is when the Bible talks about like work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's not to be scared of God, but it's one of those things of, hey, take your responsibility as far as like, it's a big deal. And here's the thing is when I'm scared of something, I tend to be a little bit more detail oriented. Like when I was a lifeguard, people that were scared of the ocean, they tend to be a little bit more detail oriented as far as where's rip currents, you know, what's going on. I don't want to die. When I had to save people, it was usually because people were idiots and they're arrogant. And they're like, oh, I can go, it's 10 feet. Looks good to me. And then they're screaming or they're stuck out and they're waving. What got them out there? It wasn't their lack of swimming, it was their arrogance. And so working out your salvation with fear and trembling is a sense of like, hey, this is heavy. This is like heaven, hell, eternity with God, eternity out, big deal. Let me make sure I kind of get this. So with this race, like we were very humble and saying this, this race could wreck us. So we trained a lot for it. But as we did the race, it was interesting. I mean, we got through mile one, two, three, and four. And when we first started, um, we were the slowest. People took off. I was like, oh, we're going to stink. Like, we're literally going to finish in last place. People are sprinting. I'm like, are you crazy? You know what's happening at mile eight and nine, though? People were literally groaning like they were in war. This was out at Vail Lake. I remember we were finishing. We had to go up a hill and down a hill and through some cold water and then climb a rope, come back down, and then, like, jump fire or something like that. And so we were going up this hill. People were laying down in the mud. Oh, oh. Now the center part of me, where these, these were the people that sprint at the beginning, is I want to be like, ha ha, I want to laugh and point at them, you know? Sucker, you know, I wanted to do that, but I'm like, don't do that. Just in case like I cramped right at the top and I fell down, you know? Like I was, I was afraid of my hamstring like going out and I'm groaning and then they get up and then they mock. I didn't want to do that. So I was like, stay humble, right? But I was running up and in my mind, I'm like, sucker right? Sprinting, making me feel bad, thinking you're all that and all that kind of stuff. But it was a very difficult race. One of the things that kept us going, though, was two things. One is we had a, I had a buddy the whole time, Jeff Cruthers. Paul didn't mention this, but I want to encourage you with this. If you want to get to heaven, if you want to be successful, buddy up with someone. That's why we have connection groups. If any of you think that this life is a solo sport, you will lose and Satan will ravage you. He is an enemy that is greater than you, but you with Christ, with other Christians— you will succeed. We buddied up. But here's the other thing is, we knew at the finish line that we had friends waiting. And if I'm honest, I knew also there was like a lot of meat to eat and some beer, which is going to help, all right? I don't care what people say. That helps after a race. 
So you, we were thinking about that and talking about that like while we're running. We're like, oh, that food's going to taste so good. Oh, that drink, oh, that cold beer's going to be so good, right? The other thing, we're like, there's people waiting. We cannot be losers, right? There's people that are like disappointed, like, oh, really? You're the people that didn't finish. Like that motivated us. And I just want to encourage you with this, that Jesus waiting the, at the front being like, I cannot wait to cheer you on. And I know it's rough. And I know there's people falling and that are groaning. <laughs> and I know you just want to kind of like lay down in the mud, be like, I just want to go to sleep. I'm just tired. But the food and the party and the people waiting, Christians that have already passed away are cheering you on that you don't even know. And Jesus is cheering you on. And it's worth it. So when life gets hard, remember the finish. Because if you think about the pain of this world, you're going to give up and lay down. Oh, Brian, there's war. Oh, look at who's in Congress. Oh, look at the education. So look at the, you're going you're gonna to lay down. You're going to stop praying. You're going to stop having joy. You're going to turn into a bitter old Christian. And that's not Paul, and that wasn't the early church. Let's stay joyful. Let's stay hopeful. How do we do that? Keep your eyes on the prize. Stay humble, you guys. And humble isn't bashing yourself, saying you're a loser. It's just putting yourself in proper perspective, saying humility is this. I don't know how to live life. God does. So I'm going to trust him. And when he gives you assignments, follow through. Don't be disobedient. Even if you're like, but other people don't have to. That's right. He's assigned you, not them. Play your part on the team. But the third thing is keep your eyes on the finish line, not on the pain of today. And that's how the church grew and exploded. And that's how hopefully our church will continue to grow and to do God's will is by these things. We're going to take time today. And here's what thing. We're going to sing songs about God to God because he's at the finish line cheering us on. So let's put our eyes on him. He is the perfecter of our faith, the one who is willing us to do good things. So the worship team's gonna come up now. I wanna encourage you, we have communion in the front, in the back. I understand if you're new to this, this is the worst tasting communion you'll ever have in your life. I understand that, but we're a very cheap church, and so that's why we do this. And so um, it's not about the taste, it's about recognizing, and there's nothing spiritual about the juice and the cracker. It's just recognizing that it's about Jesus. This is the ultimate act of humility. It's about Jesus, not us. If you come here today and you've never taken communion or maybe you're like, I don't even know if I'm a follower of Jesus. You don't have to get the chills or cry to follow Jesus. It's a decision of the heart that says, you know what? You're God, I'm not. I'm dying to myself and I'm living in you and trusting you. You can take communion today and just know that he died for you because he loves you, not because he hates you and he's for you, he's not against you. So I just want to encourage you, you take communion today, you've given your life to Jesus and just keep trusting him. So we're just going to sing songs. You can take communion by yourself or maybe with family or friends and just let God kind of lead you in this time. Jesus, we thank you so much. The book of Acts has been a wonderful study for us, Jesus. We've really seen how you work and how you're the one that accomplishes things, not us. I pray that Access Church, we could be a place, God, where your spirit continues to, to live and to lead and to thrive. God, keep us humble as a church never thinking that it's things or money that make us successful, but it's the activity of your spirit that makes us successful. Keep us humble. May we accomplish your task. May we never be lazy as a church, God. May we enjoy working hard for you. And may our eyes be on heaven, not on this earth. And I pray for all of us here, Jesus, that we'll finish this race being able to embrace your arms because you love us. In your name, we worship you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more information or to get in contact with our pastoral staff, please go to go toaccesschurch.com.